the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to On the Record with Tiffany. There are heroes throughout San Antonio, men and women that go the extra mile to make lives better. During the next hour, you'll be inspired as we introduce you to these unsung heroes. And now here's your host, Tiffany Jones-Smith. And we're back with another episode of On the Record with Tiffany uh, here on 9.30 a.m. The Answer, um, my home where I first got my start, and we can also be seen on the African American Network Television, where we have a local feel and a global reach. Um, Today, I have a special guest. Lord, y'all are about to find out stuff about me that you didn't want to know. (laughs) I have my handsome husband, Kevin L. Smith, uh, entrepreneur, Intellectual. Intellectual. Boy, this is really good. I like it. Keep keep coming. Keep coming. <laughs> <laughs> and all around good guy. Uh, and we're going to talk about, tell them a little bit about why we're here. All right. Intellectual. That's not a common phrase I hear at home, but I like it. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> So, uh, you know, as you know, on the record with Tiffany is my lovely wife, uh, Tiffany uh, Jones Smith. She keeps that hyphenated Jones in there. Oh, it killed him when I kept that, y'all. It killed him. So I was a Jones before I became a Smith. Yeah, whatever. (laughs) So but one of the things that, you know, behind the scenes is that the show is produced by Dynamic Life Press. And it is the company uh, that Tiffany uh, owns as well. And I have a little bit in there and I work for free most of the days. He around works for that. hugs and kisses. Yes, uh, but <laughs> we're we're going to expand that program, right? So I recently resigned from my uh, from my uh, from my job, right? Uh, nice job, a lovely career, and I really loved it. Uh, but we're going to expand that. And one of the programs we're going to have is one that's focused on African-American uh, history and, and genealogy. And not just just African-American, but American part of that as well. And so one of the things is that uh, that I've done, I recently turned 50, and I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to die. Uh, and one of the things is that I... Just as you start doing that, you figure by the time you're the second great anything, great grandfather, great uncle, great whatever, uh, most people have forgotten about you. The people who know you have uh, have died, right, or about to die, and you will be forgotten, right? And so one of the things I wanted to do is come at this from a viewpoint of if I was your second great whatever, right, uh, second great uh, nephew, grandson, granddaughter, what would be the things you'd want me to know about you? And so I've selected a few people uh, in my life, right? So I have a, in different categories, right? I have a category of women that I would want my great-grandchild, great-great-grandnephew to know about in my life. And my wife's one of those people, right? And I don't say that just because I'm married to and I love her a lot, but I say that because she is one of those people I'd want to know I want them to know details about her life. So that's what this interview is is about is, hey, I want to know some details and I want to know some of the whys of what, uh, why you do what you do and what are some of the things that you accomplish that the genealogical uh, uh, records may not tell. So that's the, the point here. And also so you can get an insight into the why of Tiffany's life as well as, in addition to the what she's doing as well. Fair Thank enough. Thank you, babe. Thank you. <laughs> Isn't it amazing what, you know, cooking a few good meals for a dude will get for you? Look at this. He's all on the radio singing my praises. <laughs> no, it'll get you a, a overweight husband. That's what it'll get you. Too many good meals. <clears throat> all right, all right. The allergies here in, in uh, San Antonio are killing me. Okay. So, so what do you want to know? So you're releasing about control me, of your program, all right. Mr. Smith. All right. So, <laughs> all right. So you know, uh, I want people to get a, a feel of the person that I know, that me and the girls know at home, right? 
because we're, we're we're there. We get to see you, right? And so, and I think you're an excellent role model for our, both of our young girls. Uh, you know, they I see them taking on a lot of your personality, bossiness most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> that is. But first of all, tell me about, you know, uh, what do you recall about your childhood? What's the first memory you have as a kid? Mm. You weren't expecting that question, were you? My first memory, golly. I think one of my first memories uh, is of playing Little League, Little League Baseball. You always call it T-ball. But I was the only girl uh, on the team. Why? Because it was it was all boys at the time. And so the reason I was the only girl on the team is I wanted to play. And uh, I told my daddy I wanted to play. So daddy said he'd coach. And he put me on the team and was just like, my, my baby's going to be on the team. And <laughs> if y'all don't like it, get over it. And so I was, I was the only girl on the on the baseball team. All right, so you're the only girl on the baseball team. So what did that you know? Looking back at that now, you know, what? How do you feel about that? Oh, it was it was great. You know, there was there were when I when my dad put me on the team, there was another girl that was placed on the team on a different team as well, and uh, um, I knew her. And this was a time where she was a this was a, a white girl uh on another on another team and the teams were were fairly integrated the we the teams were beginning to be integrated integrated in what sense racial or boys and girls racial and boys and girls okay and so uh we had different ethnicities on our team and uh and but there weren't very many girls. So it was me, the only girl on my team, and there were like two other teams. that One that took the, the little white girl on, and then the other that took uh, another girl on. What city was this in, by the way? In Beaumont, Texas. Beaumont, Texas. Probably about, what, the 80s? Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Good deal. No, no, that was in, in the 70s. Okay. Now, Kevin, now, don't play with me. <laughs> <laughs> You know that was in the seventies. <laughs> hey, I'm trying to I'm trying to shave off some of that. Of those, trying events, to make me younger. Yeah, what's the most? What was the most rememberable uh, event that you had playing little league baseball? No, oh, or first, t-ball. She wasn't playing little league. She was playing t-ball. Well, there were two really memorable things. It was the first time, you know, because they were just bringing in different ethnicities. Uh, this little boy called me the N-word. It's the first time I'd ever, ever heard someone call me that. Now, my mama knew the world's going to come at you in a certain way. So my mom, like, kind of had this whole little thing that she did with Darrell and me. And so Darrell's my younger brother. Uh, and so mama had told me, anytime somebody calls you that, if somebody ever calls you this, and you tell them that an N is an ignorant person, and the only N you see in this room is them. She said, that's what you say. And I said, okay. <laughs> well, I've been hearing that, my, you know, forever. And uh, all of a sudden, somebody pops this out at me. So I'm like, what? <laughs> mm-hmm. So when the kid did, you know, my mom, I, I was a very outspoken kid. Like, from the beginning, I've been outspoken. And so I said exactly what my mom said. And um, then he said, and he happened to be the grandson of the owner of the the uh, the park where all the baseball games were mm-hmm. held. And, um, and so I said this to him. And then the next thing I knew, he said, this is my girlfriend, and started <laughs> introducing me <laughs> to everybody as his girlfriend. And from that point forward, I learned, A, the power of words and standing up for yourself. And uh, B, that you can change anybody's mindset because obviously that thinking must have come from his granddad. Mm-hmm. And how many times did I meet his granddad, and his granddad was like, you're just the prettiest, sweetest little thing, and, mm-hmm. and you know, just completely... When when the when it happened and I shut him down, it changed everything. 
you know, a simple empowerment. And I didn't know what personal empowerment was, but, but taking control of something and saying, no, I, I choose not to have this narrative. You're not going to have it. This is how we're going to interact with one another. I like that story. Okay, that's a good story. So, but also bearing in mind the historical time that we're in, because mm-hmm. something you and I talk about this all the time is understanding where you are in history, knowing that what came before you 10, 20 years before you, right? So uh, when I look at it now as a 50-year-old man, uh, King assassinated, what, 68, 69? Mm-hmm. So we're talking, what, 10 years? Mm-hmm. 10 years from that time frame. And yeah. I don't think people realize that. I was like six or seven years old. Yeah. So, so if you're born in 71, right? So we are the mm-hmm. generation that, uh, that didn't get to experience a segregated environment, right? Not a legally segregated environment, right? There were no signs that said white only. There was mm-hmm. no sign that says colors this way, right? And I think in, in everyone, I, I speak this from us, I think in every uh, person's uh, jubilation that now we're integrated and becoming part of the mainstream of America, we didn't, we, we haven't told people about what that felt like. Because there's a generation of people about to pass away that will be the last generation who experienced, uh, you know, a segregated America and what a truly mm-hmm. segregated America enforced by the legal system. All right. So we have you doing there and not to preach. Right. Uh, but these are facts. Right. So uh, moving on from there, what was the one thing that you think that your dad, I start with your dad that imparted <laughs> oh. uh, to you. Right. My dad. Now, granted, her dad is he's going to be upset with me. He's like five, eight. And in Tiffany's mind, he was like six foot nine. Y'all, I had <laughs> no idea my dad was little until Kevin L. Smith started pointing that out to me so, when we were dating very rudely. Anyway, he almost got booted for that. <laughs> so tell me more. Tell me more about the things that your father imparted mm. to you. Well, my dad was real, real big on, on, uh, on education and on me standing up for myself. I mean, that was a, a, a theme throughout my life is that no one, is going to speak for you if you don't. Mm -hmm. And if you allow, well, no one is going to express what you feel if you don't. If you allow someone else to speak for you, then you're lost. No one's going to hear your voice if you allow somebody else to speak for you. So you you have to stand up for yourself, young lady. And he would, he really put a lot of emphasis on that. Well, uh, probably when I was eight, nine years old, uh, cracks started moving into the 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 neighborhood. Yes, Tiffany was uh, project adjacent. Yes, right. She I lived. Was, I lived about seven streets over from the project. She always says this, right? Yes, <laughs> it's the truth. And Kevin O. Smith is always like seven streets over ain't the projects, and and I know that it's not. Uh, but but. You know, we lived in a neighborhood that was like that was transitioning. That was transitioning into, and and crack was a terrible, ter- it was terrible, what we saw it do to to families, to people that that we knew literally overnight, just just uh, taking over their lives. Well, my dad's what they were doing, what the dealers were doing, was approaching kids that were were leaders, and asking them offering them this drug and offering and offering them riches if they sold this drug. Well, we knew not to do that. Why did you know not to do that? Because daddy wasn't trying to play with nobody at his house. You didn't, you didn't do anything like that. You did not sell drugs. You did not engage in illegal activity because uh, there were too many things you could do with your mind. Now, okay, and this is because I know this story, and I'm trying to get her to bring this story out so you know, understand more of her background, right? So tell me the encounter that your dad had. Uh, I think you got no. in, you got into a, a altercation with the son of the of, of the of a big of a big time drug dealer. Now, when we say big time, he we mean this individual like just a local neighborhood drug dealer, but he actually ended up getting arrested. It was Kanat's son. Uh, Kanat, the the big drug dealer, got got arrested and he was dealing drugs all up and down the southern and and 
the southern coast of the U- mm-hmm. United States. So there's an altercation between you, his so son his and you. his son came over. This is right after Christmas. And his son comes over to our house. And my daddy had gotten my brother and me two big wheels. Now, for those of you who don't know what a big wheel is, it is. It was a- the coolest item of the day. <laughs> and we had it. You know, it was like the Google toy it. of the. Google it. Google big wheels, y'all, because it was good. Okay, <laughs> so we get these two big wheels and we're excited about it. And I'm spinning out on my big wheel, <laughs> having a great time, me and my brother. And so they come over and we think that they're coming over to visit, to be friendly. And they're not because they're, they've got all this this power now. In the neighborhood. And people are afraid of them because if they ask you for something, they want something, they can have it, you mm-hmm. know, because they're Kanats kids. And so they pushed me and Darrell off our big wheel, you know, told us to get off. They were riding them. And, uh, and so we're just standing off to the side, and they riding my big wheel. What did Ernest Jones say? My daddy opens the screen door because daddy's watching. And he said, get over here, young lady. And I said, okay. I came over and he said, you got two choices today. You're either going to fight me or you're going to fight these two little little Individuals. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, (coughs) I said, what? (laughs) He said, I'm a little kid. I'm looking up at him. (laughs) I said, what? And he said, you don't let anybody take something from you that belongs to you like this. He goes, so you've got two choices. You're going to stand up for yourself against them, or you're going to fight me. What you going to do? What'd you and do? I said, I was scared. I said, Daddy, but everybody's afraid of them. He said, I'll deal with, with the adults. You deal with these two kids. So what happened, Tiffany? So I went out there because I wasn't fighting daddy. That meant I was going to get my behind spanked. I know y'all don't believe in that anymore, but I wasn't getting my butt spanked in front of everybody. So I went out there, pushed those two little rugrats off of my <laughs> my big wheel and my brother's big wheel. They wanted to uh, post up and fight, and I beat them both like they were stepchildren and sent them back home. <laughs> And so Kanat came out. Now, this is where. Now, this this is drug dealer. Now, this is where what daddy was teaching me came to. Let me just back up real quick, right? So you say, well, how did she know how to fight, right? Which was mine. I heard this first. I first heard this story. I was like, what? Oh, my God. Tell me more, right? And so Tiffany's (laughs) a southpaw. Right. So which means she fights left handed and uh, with uh, with pyros to her left side. And so your dad actually taught you how to punch with a punching bag. right? Yeah, because your the dad's a Vietnam I, vet. right? That's right. And daddy was a sharpshooter when he was uh, um, in in service for the country. OK. Well, and, and then also the background is that this guy and your dad. Had probably grew up as youngsters, right? Mm-hmm. And so I know, Mister J, you'd be mad at me, but you know, just based and on Daddy the stories, you're a bit of a you're a bit of a ruffian growing up as a kid. And Daddy didn't like that he he saw the neighborhood completely de- yep. declining and deteriorating under this fool bringing in a drug and lying to everybody about it, so he could he could uh, make money, essentially to make money. So there's background for that. Now, what happened? You push these two kids off of the big wheel. She does get into an altercation. She's giving you the edited version of the story. Yes. But she stands up to them uh, and gets I'm in a physical I'm giving you the radio version. Gives you a physical <laughs> altercation with these two kiddos. And now they're... Two boys. Two boys, right. So now their father is coming down or there's an mm-hmm. encounter because she's mm-hmm. just beat up two boys. Right. So him and his little posse of idiots no. uh, come out and they're like, uh, Damon and Bryce are upset. And they're cussing and fussing. And my dad said, you're going to watch your mouth and you're going to tone all of this back. And so they, <laughs> they were like, do you know what we do to people? My dad said, I have enough bullets to say that you're not going to do a GD thing today to me or to my kids. 
You can deal your your trash all up and down this street and to whomever you think you want to deal it to. You can bully whoever else you think you want to bully. But if you step to my kids or if these little little monsters that you're raising <laughs> come, come stepping up to my daughter or my son, I can guarantee you that you will see at least four or five of you drop before you can get across this fence to me. Now, this story has so many meanings in different ways every time I hear it, right? And so, one, right, I think the disarmament, here I'm going to take a, two, a few places where I take We had story. a gun behind every door. Yeah, and, and Tiffany's father has a reputation for being a, Bit of a badass, right? Yes, and not just. And he he works. He's a. I mean, he works a nine to five. Well, probably a nine to whenever doing shift work. But for me specifically, he's a card carrying member of the NRA. Yes, always has been, always <laughs> will be. So, but this this story. When I hear this story, I want to take it a couple of ways, right? To let you know, one, this explains a lot of my wife's current personality, right? And then and a bit of my own personality is similar to my father-in-law's, right? So that explains the attraction. Anti-criminal <laughs> and pro-arms. But the disarmament, <laughs> right? And this is where we're going to get politically with this story. I think the disarmament <laughs> of the black community among people who are law-abiding citizens. And yes, my liberal and conservative friends, there are a lot of black people in the community, right? Only about less than 1% of the total black community are involved in any type of criminals have been convicted of anything. Right. I mean, it's like 1%, right. You wouldn't think that from all the numbers that they go out, but the disarmament of law abiding black citizens in communities that are either transitioned to uh, or transitioning to bad neighborhoods is a lot of the cause of the issues with crime. Right Uh now, granted, eventually people like my father-in-law moved out of the neighborhood. The neighborhood did transition. But while they were there, it was a stable environment. You would not believe it because there were blocks of neighborhoods that drug dealers wouldn't dare come into. And it's not like New Jack City where you decide you roll in and you kill those individuals. Just didn't happen. Yeah. So that's the story there. So. All right. So. That being a little bit of your background, and I realize the time frame. Sorry, I got preachy on there for a moment there. But just down that back on that line right there, Tiffany. So that kind of establishes with you very early on this stand up for something that you do. Yeah. Right. And so uh, when you because guess what? Well, let's finish up this story uh, in this segment. So daddy says this to them now. Like I said, we we are, and this is with henchmen, he's, right? This is he's got he's got his little posse there, but Daddy is standing there, armed as always. <laughs> and he was like, uh, "You, you got some people are gonna gonna drop because I don't, you know, you don't, you don't, as as we know, like my dad taught us all about about weapons. You don't, you don't." You don't have a weapon out if you're not willing to use that weapon. You don't. Uh, you don't claim that you're going to use a weapon if you're not willing to use that weapon. And so they started backing up. Yeah. Because half of these people that are criminals are cowards. <laughs> criminals have always been cowards. That's why they choose the easy way out. That's why they choose to be lightweight criminals. So how did the story end, baby? Anyway, so they started backing up. Daddy started stepping forward because he's he's not retreating. He's not standing way back at our house. He's walking towards them and letting them know. And I mean, you want to see the place clear out because cowards run when they see you coming, (laughs) advancing towards them. And that's exactly what they did. And that taught me right then, hey, stand up for yourself. Do not let somebody that is less than you, that they couldn't hold my daddy's sack lunch, and they still can't. <laughs> and that is why you have to do what you have to do. You have to stand up for yourself. If you don't, nobody else will. There we go. And you've been listening to On the Record with Tiffany. 
And now you know a little bit about me. Here on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. That's why 9.30 is my home, because there's a whole lot of NRA uh, card-carrying members of the NRA who listen to me. I'm Tiffany Smith, Chief Executive Officer of the Texas Kidney Foundation, and I'm here to talk to you about your kidney health. Health is the most important asset we possess. COVID-19 has exposed the unhealthy nature of our population. One in three Americans are at risk for chronic kidney disease. In absolute numbers, that translates into about 600,000 San Antonians. Have you been diagnosed with diabetes? Have you been diagnosed with hypertension? Do you take blood pressure medicine? Do you have heart disease? Have you experienced heart failure? Do you have a history of dialysis or kidney failure in your family? If you said yes to two or more of those questions, you need to come and see us. Are you a part of that one in three? Is your sister, is your brother, is your mother? Texas Kidney Foundation offers free screenings. All you have to do is go to our website, www.txkidney.org. Check out our free screenings. You can either come to our office for an in-office visit, or we can come to you. You can schedule a screening or go to a screening near you. And we're back with another segment of On the Record with Tiffany here on 930 AM, The Answer. Uh, my home, and we can also be seen on the African American Network television, where we have a local feel and a global reach. And I'm back talking about uh, your early childhood, my early childhood. Um, so let me ask a few more questions, all right? Because we don't want to leave people thinking, "Oh my God, uh, <laughs> Tiffany's dad is just this vigilante rolling around in his neighborhood, right?" No, right? So. Let me. So okay. So, so let's daddy. finish. So let me add a, a key component here that I think we left out. It wasn't just uh, Mr. J, right, rolling around with, who was armed, right? There were many, many people in that neighborhood, many men and, and women. They were organized. And they were organized who were armed, right? In fact, their whole block and they. It was uh, an organized little. It was an organized daddy, group of people. Mr. Casmore, Mr. Griffith, they were organized, yeah. and they so, knew they didn't want to have. Uh, these folks taking over. Yeah, drugs on the street. So tell me more about, let's fit, wrap the story up. I'm going to ask some other questions about that created a stir in the neighborhood. Oh, and yeah. in fact, that guy had to come in. Did he eventually move? There was a conversation between he and your dad. Tell me more about that. Because this guy was paying the police and stuff. and Like when he got caught, a bunch of police officers got arrested as well. But uh, what was the encounter like when he he and your dad actually because your dad knew this guy when the encounter actually when he and your dad actually had a, a, an encounter face to face on that? What happened? Uh, he got scared and started retreating because uh, as I as I said, uh, daddy was advancing on him. And uh, daddy wasn't willing to back down and he told him uh, there's going to be a special place in hell for you. And you and your boys may may go there right now today. Which one do you want to do? But I'm telling you, you need to get your life right. Because there's a special place in hell for people who will take not only the life, but the dignity of the people in the neighborhood. Because this thing that you have unleashed in this neighborhood is taking the dignity of the very people who are taking it. And you know that's what it's going to do. Yeah. And you and you are consciously unleashing this on children, on women and on men in this neighborhood. And if I have anything to say about you, give me a reason. You and this bunch of fools you run. with, You give me a reason right now. To pull the trigger, because I'll be happy to do it and put this whole place out of its name, out of its misery. Yeah. So and so they retreated. (laughs) (laughs) They were parting like the Red Sea. Yeah, and so then the follow-up with that was that there were additional men in the neighborhood who also who basically came to uh, to Mr. J and was like, "Man, what, you should have waited for us and everything." And so there were armed. That is not a way so, kind of guy. So for us, 
and our philosophy, my philosophy is still this, is this long before I met Mr. J and even my wife was that the, one of the, the best things to policing is to have an arms, a law abiding armed citizens in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Right. And for us and for me, that, that, that stuck with me because I've had similar situations with my own father, stepfather at the time. Right. But that was a big thing. And I wanted people and I would want and I'd want not just this, you guys, but I'd want great, great, whatever family members long after we're, we're dead and gone to know that story, to know that the, the, the origin of Tiffany's, hey, you have to stand up for yourself because if you don't, nobody else will. That's right. Stand up for, it doesn't have to mean you have to be armed to do that. So I don't want anyone to take Sometimes that Sometimes you do. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So Little yeah, we do believe that you need to know. Yeah. So we do believe that we do believe in uh, in arms, right? So mm-hmm. we, we we have them. They're safely put away for all you liberal people who are a little bit concerned. So you know, there just isn't this this single dimension to Tiffany and and, and her her thinking and her political thought. So you know, and and the statement "guns don't kill people, people kill people." That is yeah a, a true. Statement: You have to teach your children about uh, gun safety. You have to practice gun safety. It's not something you don't just go out and and buy a bunch of guns. Uh, there's shooting ranges, and you know that you learn how to. What's your dream gun, Tiffany? Let people know this. What do you want? What do you want me to get, be stupid enough to buy you? The dirty hairy gun. <laughs> the Magnum. Okay, so but what about the 1911? Isn't that also a favorite gun? I of love yours? 1911. I was okay. So Kevin and I. This is a funny little story. Kevin and I go to a shooting range, and Kevin is like, "Tiffany, we're going in the backwoods to this shooting range." I don't want you making eye contact with anybody and talking because you always make friends everywhere we go. And this place, (laughs) (laughs) this particular shooting range is like out in in the backwoods. This is in Beaumont. We're driving through all these little areas that, you know, people say it's got a lot of white supremacists and all this. And they do. They do. But there's some nice people out there as well. And I'm sitting there going, all right, all right, all right. So we get there, and I'm my usual self. Now, hey, granted, how y'all doing? You now, know, talking. Now, <laughs> talk granted, we, 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 have, we have about three nine millimeters, and this wasn't going to turn into a gun show, but we're here in this vein of thought. So we have three nine millimeters. Tiffany has a little 380 that she carries that we have there. Mm-hmm. And we have about six, seven guns. We have enough to have some fun and shoot, and we got a lot of ammo before it became yeah. super expensive. Yeah, so, so we're there. And I've already been given my directive not to make eye contact and talk to anybody. So, and also, I just don't want to have a bunch of questions. I'm there to shoot, not conversate, right? Yeah, it's, <laughs> the word is converse. It is not converse. That is not a word. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> so okay, fine. We're there, and I'm trying to listen to the directive, but I look over and see these two little old men. And they have a 9-11. It is not a 9-11. It is a 1911. See, I'm sorry, a First of all, in order to get the gun, you got to know what it is. Shut up. Shut up. <laughs> they have a 1911, right? So I'm, I'm sitting there, and I was like, wow, that looks like, what is that? Now, for those of you in the audience, you know what a 1911 is. But there are some people, our friends and stuff, who have been listening to the show like, well, it's a 1911. I ain't never seen one. It's a huge gun, right? It's huge. It's a big gun. And then she likes it 40 caliber because it fits good in her hands, as she says, right? 45 mm-hmm. caliber, sorry. Yeah, yeah, that wouldn't work. But, okay. But you strike up the conversation with these I two guys, it, right? I'm like, what is that? So the two little old men are over there, and I look at them. And they speak to me. So as far as I'm concerned, all bets are off because I did not <laughs> I did not start off the conversation. They started talking to me. So we start chit-chatting. And anyway, long story short, next thing I know, they offered to let me shoot their guns. And then they offered to let me shoot all their guns. So <laughs> Now, for those of you who've been to a gun range, you always have those a dozen people, right? They have every gun known to man. Yes, they are addicted to it, right? And so these guys brought out, oh my God, every version like of a nineteen eleven I think I've ever seen. You have, yes, it was like the the greatest thing. And that gun has huge kickback. Yeah, it has decent, but, you, but it's, it's uh, big for me. It's yeah. big for me because I'm five three, and uh, so I got to 
shoot. Yeah, we got to do some shooting. It actually yeah. turned out to be it was fun, fun, right? Because we, I mean, it was. I mean, you ever saw the nineteen eleven? It's a really cool gun to shot. And we also met two new, two really good individuals, right? Who, based on where we were located, if you just saw this, you're like, oh man, these guys are probably <laughs> racist. Is all get out? Oh my god! So or you just know, nuts. You know. So we came with. I came, and I normally do. I came with some, with some, with some stereotypes right in my head, right? Your own biases. Yeah, but they were. They turned out to be two of the nicest individuals that I think I've ever met at a gun range. Yep. I mean, they were older. Uh, Which is what I was pointing out <laughs> And so I try to roll without biases, and I have good times all the time. And that is one of my, <laughs> that's, that's one of my favorite gun ranges because of our encounter with those two individuals. Exactly. And we, whenever we go back to Beaumont, I mean, this, 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 this gun range was like out in Jasper. Oh, yeah. No, it's it like wasn't. It was in Vider. It Vider. was out past Vider. No, Jasper and Vider are two separate places. But it was somewhere Don't around Don't go there. traveling with Tiffany. She'll get you lost. Yeah. Okay. I, I don't so have a sense of direction. It's out the other side of Vider, <laughs> right? Which, you know, nationally isn't known for being the most uh, uh, progressive place. But there are a lot of... And there are a lot of good people. Yeah, a lot of good people there in Vider, right? So I always mm-hmm. compare it to, you know... For my white friends, I say, hey, don't be so stereotypical of black people because when I go to Vider or I go shooting in that area, right, you know, I don't have that. I have to deal with that stereotype, and I'm giving people the benefit of the doubt. And actually, one of those gentlemen was from the guy with all the 1911s was from Vider. <laughs> yep, and I was yep. like, oh, my God. And he was God. like, come to the house. You got to try these out. And I, I got more stuff at the house. Yeah, and he did, right? And believe it or not, we actually went. So this guy was, I mean, I had we had a good time with him, right? And so, you know. And I bring that. Story. And it was a father and a son, by the way. Two little old men. Like one was like sixty, and the other one was like seventy-seven. There was a father and son. Yeah, they were. There was like a twenty-year like, gap. Uh-huh, yeah, yeah. there's a father <laughs> and son. And so we actually ended up buying us. We ended up buying some guns from those guys. Mm-hmm. It was funny. It was very, very funny. But we, I say that to to uh, to bring up. Hey, that story is some of Tiffany's background there. And in her father uh, standing up and imparting that, and even more so, we don't have. Uh, do we have time to talk about your mom, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. your mom and the break-in, right? Which is a funny story <laughs> to me. But uh, now my mom was hilarious because my mom would tell me things like, "I was unaware of what the the narrative was about African Americans," because my mom was like, she would say, "You know, the news is not is not truthful." Look, here's the news. Do you ever see anybody in in our neighborhood doing this? Well, no, before, it's rare. Bef- yeah, it's yeah, rare. Be- it was rare before crack. Yeah, I mean, this is before, was before was crack. Yeah. Uh, but do you ever see anybody, you know, just stealing and, and pillaging in the neighborhood? You don't really see that. Um, and even after crack, what we saw uh, was was children. Children were stealing things in the neighborhood because they, their parents were, were hooked on drugs and they were looking for food and looking for uh, a ways to purchase food. So they would steal things like mm-hmm. bikes and stuff and try to sell them. Yeah, because a lot of people um, went to jail, right? Yeah, because their, their parents would go to jail. And uh, nobody at that time, you know, I don't think that the system was even prepared for for what, what crack would do, like uh, systemically across the across the board. So people weren't prepared for, oh, when we arrest this person and they have children, where are the children going to go? Yeah, because or, it just flooded, we, it flooded the system so So you quickly. had children, people being arrested, and the children were just at home in the house. Mm-hmm. No, no, uh, no parents uh, present, and, and the children are trying to figure out how to eat. You know, and you had lights being turned off and water being turned off and the lights and water company coming in and turning off these things. And the children are still there and yeah. still living there. And that was that was a common occurrence at the time. But yeah. So uh, but but yeah. It, so, you know, crack. Anyway, after with the the uh, back to the guns. <laughs> so mama had kind of given me this different narrative and was like. Uh, you know, her her mentality was if 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 a narrative is going to be created, I'm going to give the proper perspective to my kids. And so she told us, OK, these things are not true. Uh, here is you uh, intellectually. You are smart, but you're going to have to do better. You're going to have to work harder. And you're going to have to uh, achieve more. 
than your your white counterparts. Yeah, so because you have to realize too, and I always have to explain this when I when we make this statement is that mm-hmm. you're talking we're what twenty less than twenty years uh-huh. from a, a, a yeah. segregated, from my viewpoint, uh, an apartheid like state. You know, here in the, here in the U.S. Right, yeah. believe it or not, accept it or not, that's true. The facts don't. The facts are there yeah. right, to support that. But even facts. there, though, you still have people. And I bring this up with Tiffany because I want you to see that she is a microcosm of the majority of Black America, if you will. Right, that you have people there teaching and instructing their children with American values. Mm-hmm. American values. Right. That's right. They just happen to be African American. You know, uh-huh. as far as but that, we're as American as anyone else. Yeah. So let's transition, yeah. right? And uh on that. So And so she taught us uh, that we needed to be really that we needed to be vigilant. And that part of your your um part of our Christian ethos is to be the best we can be. It's not to compete against everyone else. But it is to be the best within the scope of what you are and what your abilities are to be the best you can be. And so I was constantly like so my mom, when she saw that uh, I did well with with words, uh, then she she bought books called the word power books. Remember, I I remember coming home and I had (laughs) the school's homework. (laughs) <laughs> which I could do real fast. <laughs> and I had mama's homework, <laughs> yeah. which took much longer. Um, and and we just had a different perspective. So that that right there in terms of education, that propelled me forward. So I got placed in, in uh, the gifted and talented classes and the AP classes mm-hmm. eventually, and then the international baccalaureate classes. Uh, and and life on the intellectual side by being in that intellectual environment, I was insulated from a lot of what uh, we saw happening in the neighborhood. Yeah, uh, because my dad, you know, you had daddy who was basically like, "You step to my kids, and you're getting dropped," and then you had mama who was making sure that that in the classroom and in the in the academic setting we were getting. Uh, a lot of reinforcement of of the intellectual values that we had. Well, on the streets, though, the uh, drug dealers were coming in and offering kids that had good personalities and good standing with the other children uh, the uh, opportunity to sell their <laughs> drugs. Uh-huh. I mean, and they were coming up to kids that were nine years old. 10 years old. Yeah. And uh, let me tell you, let me interrupt you real quick on a funny story. Mm-hmm. Right. So you, as you can see, as you can see in here, my wife has a lot of personality. Right. So and always a lot of disdain for drug dealers. Yes. And so I always say <laughs> not, the weak need not apply. <laughs> right. And so but one of the things was that uh, uh, I think Darrell was telling me and Darrell is Tiffany's brother, who's a very successful attorney. Right. Was telling her uh so Darrell was telling me the story that these drug dealers were coming up to him because he has a lot of personality yeah. as well. Right. And then Tiffany came and said, you better get away from my brother. And she had some interesting things to say. And yeah. then this one guy, <laughs> and was, I let him know I would beat them down if they, <laughs> and this one guy had some interesting things to say back. And then one kid said, no, 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 no. That's E Jones's daughter. And you know, he's crazy. Right. <laughs> that's <what they laughs> so that's my story on that one. But Tiffany, let's transition because we run out out of time here. So uh-huh. right now, fast forward. So this is a little bit of your background, right? And some people go, "Oh man, she was raised in an environment of guns." Yeah, it was a, yes. good, a good environment. Yes, I was very proud of that. <laughs> mm-hmm. So tell us now, right? So a lot of this, and I could go on because I I know more of these stories here. So right now, fast forward, right? You you have the radio show, right? Uh, and then here, and then also you have, uh, you work with Texas Kidney Foundation, yes. and you guys are going through some transitionings. And then also in your own life, you're downsizing some different stuff in your world. So tell me about what's going on there. I'm a very prayerful person, and I really believe that that uh, we're all put on this earth to do something, that God has called us to something, each one of us. And when you know what your calling is and what your purpose is, then uh, if you are a Christian, and as, I, as am I, then you know that you want to stand before God at the end 
and hear good and faithful servant. You don't want to stand before God at the end and have everything burning up with hay and stubble. All the other, all the Christians listening will know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> I really felt moved to uh, focus in on on health and on uh, kidney disease, especially as this pandemic has swept the earth. I mean, if you don't understand Christ and know his power and that, that he can still, he can make everybody be still and be quiet, look at this pandemic. It swept the earth in, in, a, in no time. And, and I truly believe that it was, it was the Lord telling us to <clears throat> take, take stock of what you're doing so what are why some of the you're things, doing it. What are some of the projects you're working on and in so the direction now, that you're taking? So one of the foundation? things I took stock on was, was health care access and <clears throat> actually providing health care access. So we have the, and I felt strongly, I want to, you know, through some other people that I was working with, the social venture partners of San Antonio, I got some advice from one of the leaders, some of the leadership there to that, that I needed to go smaller. And boy, I didn't want to hear that. I didn't want to hear that, but, but they were correct. And so what I did was um, hone down and took all of my resources, um, the resources that I could gather and focus them on Bear County. And said, "Okay, we'll do. Uh, we're gonna do early detection. Early detection is is the key to to slowing down or stopping any disease, and it's especially the key to chronic kidney disease. So I was like, okay, we're gonna do. We're gonna uh, concentrate the eight thousand uh, kits that we have in Bear County, and so we did. Okay, and that ended up being." So by going small, we ended up going big because that ended up being the largest uh, study of of its kind in a single county uh, that's ever been done in the United States. So what we're doing right here in this concentrated area will provide all kinds of data and information because of the cross, because of the uh, the diversity of the people here, the people populations and groups that we have mm-hmm. in in Texas. So in in Bear County. And, uh, you know, all of the county commissioners, but it was a bipartisan effort. The the county commissioners agreed unanimously that this was something that uh, they would support. Yeah. So you have that going on. And so there's more to come. So uh, so that's I, I, I love that project. I loved it so much that, you know, I've joined that forces. He wi- that he was willing to leave his job that specifically to help. <laughs> and that, that he liked with people that he that uh, that he liked. Uh, uh, yeah. So, you know, and it, and that. That, and that pays well, by the way. Okay? <laughs> that pays really, really well. And so uh, we're doing this uh, thing, and uh, and I really believe in it. Uh, not just because of you, not just because of that it's you. Well, hundred percent because it's you, right? But that the the goal of it is really good. And yeah. then you also have some other things going on as well. Tell us about. Uh, let everyone know about the LBJ. Well, this is a big week because uh, you know I, I believe you got to stand up for the things that you believe in. And so one of the things that I believe in is economic empowerment. People have to, you know, we have to take responsibility for ourselves and our communities that we, that we live in and that, that, uh, uh, that, that shape this, these United States. And the African-American communities, many of them are deteriorating. So I uh, wanted to, to engage in the political process and really understand it. And uh, I was accepted to the LBJ school, campaign school for women, mm-hmm. uh, and it's a bipartisan group, and they are are going to uh, teach me about the ins and outs of running a campaign and running for office. Okay. So that, uh, so that I can stand up for the things that that uh, that we believe in. Okay. And the last thing that uh, is the uh, the winter uh, storm Yuri. And we've been okay. So y'all know winter storm Yuri was a big old hot mess. 
uh, <laughs> we've been been uh, trying to push legislation to uh, <clears throat> for for repair of the the water, the power grid, for generators for the hospitals, nursing homes, and dialysis units, and we are <clears throat> back at it with that legislation. It's looking good, very promising, and I'm just focusing in on the things that I'm put on this earth to do. You have to live a purpose-driven life. I have to live a purpose-driven life because <clears throat> without Christ, there's nothing else. I, I'm a Christian, and I live by that ethos. So I won't be divided in the things that I'm doing. My purpose and my path are set, and I'm, I'm following it. Good deal. And so, you know, we're at that time, right? So really uh, want people to get a different perspective. Uh, we're not unique. We're not special, right? I know uh, plenty of people mm -hmm. who look like us, who have our belief systems, right? And so this is a big shout out to all you Republicans out there who uh, need to reach out to the African-American community, right? We're far more conservative than you think or believe. And we are more alike than, than we different. are different. Yeah. That's the whole premise of On the Record with Tiffany is that we are more alike than we are different. And hopefully you saw some things uh to today that help you understand that how how we yeah. relate to one another so in the words um, of the left my republican friends do you have a black ally out there somewhere a real black ally who uh who understands the nuance and complexities of what it is to be a conservative and to be african american in america yeah uh we have to work together and <clears throat> we really we truly are more alike than we are different I agree. Um, nobody is is all one thing. So let's look at all of our, our differences and accept them for what they are. And you've been listening to On the Record with Tiffany on 930 AM, The Answer. And you've been watching us on the African American Network Television, where we have a local feel and a global reach. And I hope you come back and listen to us again. You've been enjoying On the Record with Tiffany. We encourage you to share these stories with friends and family. You can listen to other shows by going to 930amtheanswer.com. And join us next week for On the Record with Tiffany on 930am The Answer. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.